All right, y'all. Getting that mask off was like doing one of those puzzle boxes you get at Cracker Barrel. Took me three minutes over there. All right, well, we're going to continue our series on Mothers of Christ. We're looking at the women in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And like we've done in the previous weeks, we're going to start off with this story that Matthew tells in chapter 12. He says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So keep this in mind. Keep in mind what it means to be part of the family of Jesus as we continue reading through this next story. Now, the past two weeks, we've asked this question, why did Matthew highlight five women in Jesus' genealogy? And we're building to, to a bit of a climax on that, and Kyler's going to take it. So... He's going to do a great job. He's going to finish it off next week. I'm on, you know, high-risk baby watch next week. So I might still be here. I might not. We don't know. So we'll see what happens. But we're asking why did Matthew highlight five women in Jesus' genealogy? Why does he start going and listing all these men, and then he suddenly starts listing these women with them? And it's not all the women because we know some of the other women. He picks out four specific women and then Mary is going to be the last one. And we, we kind of understand why Mary is in there, because, you know, that's Jesus' mom. But these other women, there's something a little bit we're not sure about with all of them. You know, we talked about Tamar, and we talked about Rahab. And, and there's some sketch in both of their stories, right? There's some things in there that we're not real comfortable with that are going on. But we found in Tamar that she is this woman who is resourceful and creative in the situation she was given. And we find Rahab, whose city is about to be destroyed, that, that she's insightful and she sees who God is and she protects her family. And then last time we were talking about the story of Ruth and Naomi and the way that Ruth is faithful to her mother-in-law in a way that really saves her life. And we also see her being a virtuous woman that everyone around town, even though she was a foreigner and was someone who the people of Israel were not supposed to marry, she comes in and they see the values of God in her, right? And so we've started finding these things that all these women have some kind of scandal attached to them. And yet, there's something that Matthew wants us to see as we look at the story of Jesus. So, speaking of scandal... Today we're talking about Bathsheba. I want you to take what you know about Bathsheba, or you think you know, and I want you to park it at the door. Because there are some ways that this has been interpreted across time that are not faithful to what the Bible actually says. All right? Like, what's the, the best way some of us know about it is Leonard Cohen singing Hallelujah. You know, his faith was strong, but he needed proof. He saw you bathing on a roof. Your beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. All right? But, but we're going to talk. We don't even know if she was on the roof. Okay? So we're going to got We got a lot of things coming up. Some of you guys are looking at me with blank stares. Some of you guys are looking at me knowing exactly what we're talking about. This might be a new story for some people. This is going to be an old story. This could be an uncomfortable story for some people. There's going to be some uncomfortable things in it. Kids are out, which is good. 
because in case you didn't know, the Bible has some adult material, all right? So let's keep going. We're going to read, we've got to read this story, Second Samuel, to understand the context for how these things are going to go. We've tried really hard to focus a lot of the action on these women and what they're choosing to do. Unfortunately, a lot of Bathsheba's story, as we're going to see, is not the choices she makes, but the choices that are made for her. All right, so let's read Second Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the, arm, the king's men and the whole Israelite army. You notice anything that's an issue already? Where are the kings supposed to be? Off at war. Did David go? Nope. He sent somebody else to go, and he stayed home. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. All right, so check one. David is not where he's supposed to be. Let's keep going. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. All right. Was David supposed to be there? Was he supposed to even be awake? Maybe not. He might have been supposed to be sleeping. So this woman is bathing in a place where you can see it from the palace roof, which is the highest point in the city. Okay? So this is not, there's outdoor bathing. That's how it works. Uh, this bath might have actually been a public area attached to running water. There's some debate on that. So she is doing something, and we're going to find out that she is where she's supposed to be. David should be asleep. David should be off at war, but he's wandering around. Do you think he knows where the bath is? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. All right. How many people are in Jerusalem? I can't tell you the exact number. It's, it's not Tulsa-sized. Okay? This is a s- smaller area. There's still a lot of people there. But, but, like, this guy says the daughter of Eliam. Why does he say that? Y- you know her dad. Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. One, wife, you know, red flag. Two, we're going to find later there's a list of David's mighty men, his 30 top warriors. Guess who's on the list? Uriah the Hittite. Does David know Uriah? Does David probably know her father? Yeah. What's this guy saying to David? What do you hear between the lines? Back off. Yeah, come on, man. Hey, hey. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. All right. You're in a situation. One, she doesn't maybe know why he's bringing her. It could be for anything. Maybe. Okay? We're reading a lot between the lines here, but we're also using what the text says. All right? Listen to this, too. If you think something bad is about to happen to you, who do you call? The authorities, whatever the authority is. Who's the authority answer to? The next step up in the chain. If the top step in the chain is the one that summons you, who do you call? God. Does God always 
divinely intervene? Not always. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. All right. So the law in Israel, women have their period, seven days of purification after that. And then on the seventh day, what do they do? They have to go take a purifying bath in running water. That is required by the law. Is Bathsheba doing what she's supposed to do? The Bible says she was purifying herself. She is doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. And David capitalizes on that. And he sees her. And, and it's the same, the same phrase, if you remember back to the Garden of Eden. Eve sees the apple and she takes it. David sent messengers to get her, to take her. This is the same idea, right? David sees what he wants. It looks good to him in his eyes. He takes it. She went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Is this, is this a good story about David? This is the part where you don't like David a whole bunch. That's right. That's right. That's right. It is. Is there anything that we've read that makes this sound like Bathsheba was putting herself out there for David? Does the Bible, is the Bible trying to tell us that? Sure isn't. Everything it says is stop it. Don't do this. She was doing what she was supposed to do. Everything was the way she was supposed to be doing it, and David did what he wanted to do. This is the beginning of her story. So, David, when he finds out she's pregnant, he calls in Uriah from the war and tries to get him to lay with his wife. But Uriah won't do it. He says the rest of the army is out fighting, and I'm supposed to be there with them right now, even though you called me back, so I am not going to go home and be with my wife. I am going to sleep out here with the guards in front of the palace on a pallet instead of going home to my bed. How are we feeling about Uriah's character right now? He's a stand-up dude. That's right. So, when that doesn't work, he tries getting him drunk, he tries everything, and he still won't do it. David says, okay, well, go back to the military, take this letter with you. So he writes a letter, he seals it. Uriah delivers the letter to Joab, the military commander. Joab opens it up, and it says, go put Uriah on the front line, then the rest of you guys run away from him and make sure he gets killed. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, David's looking real good right here, isn't he? So we got three strikes on David, right? First off, he's committing adultery in a huge way. I mean, beyond adultery. I mean, we can call it what it is. This is rape. Second, he's trying to cover it up and do whatever he can. And when that doesn't work, just go on to murder. Take care of it. Get it done, because I'm the king. It's my right. It's my power. God's real happy, you think? Down in verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Yeah, this is her husband. And from what we see of him, sounds like he's a pretty good dude, right? So yeah, she's sad. After the time of mourning was over, because there's a, there's a period of mourning that's actually a certain number of days that you mourn for people who have died, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. That is foul. That's the way you want to start off a relationship, right? 
Ja. Ja. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Duh, says Billy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing, I mean, that's covering a lot of things, right? Because we're just looking at one, two, three, four, all these things that he's done, and God isn't happy. Well, Nathan the prophet comes in, and he tells David this parable, and it calls out David. He makes David so enraged in this parable story about this guy and a sheep, and how he steals another poor man's sheep to feed his neighbor. And David gets so mad, he says, we should kill that guy who did it. And Nathan says, that's you. That's you. And, and to his credit, David does repent. But the damage is done. That repentance didn't bring Uriah back. R- repentance doesn't always, it, it solves part of the problem, right? God forgives him. but it doesn't make the problem go away. And as punishment, and here's where I also feel really uncomfortable with this, and I don't know what to tell you, is as punishment, the child dies. And that's how God frames it, is I forgive you, but the outcome of this is going to be the death of the child. I hope he learns to listen. You hope he learns to listen, right? So Bathsheba is what? She's paying for David's sins. She has to carry this baby that she didn't ask for. She has to become the wife she didn't ask for. And then after all that, the baby dies. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And he became, and because the Lord loved him, he sent the word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. So she is paying for his sins, and this child has died. And she's in a situation that I don't think we can call it a good situation. But in the midst of that, there's hope, right? Because David has another child with her. And there's hope because Solomon is born. Okay? So that's where we have the story of Bathsheba. And we don't hear anything from her again until David is old and he's dying. He's on his deathbed. And they're playing Game of Thrones. All right? Because David's old. He's can't do much of anything. He's just laying down. And so Adonijah, the leftover oldest is trying to take the throne. You see, after this sin that David commits, the rest of his life kind of gets decided for him instead of he makes the decisions of how things are going to go. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters, and in response, one of his other sons kills that son, and then that son tries to usurp the throne, and David has to flee, and that son gets all of David's concubines, and he sleeps with them in broad daylight so people can know that he's consolidated power. That's a little bit important for the end of this story. So remember that part. That son ends up getting killed. David mourns, and he goes on, 
and then what's left is Adonijah is now the oldest son because the other oldest sons are dead. There's, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. That's right. Yeah. It's not all beautiful things. And we, like we talked about the first week, it's not all things that we want to emulate either, right? There are things that we're learning lessons from in the same way we learn lessons from the darkest times of history, right? Sometimes it's how does God keep showing up anyway, even when we do everything we can to get in his way? You know, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you made a bad choice, okay? So just remember that too. All right, so Adonijah is trying to take the throne. And let's hear what happens. Then Nathan the prophet asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And our Lord David knows nothing about it. Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. So he gives her this plan. So Bathsheba, in verse 16, bowed down, prostrating herself before King David. What is it you want, the king asked? She said to him, my lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God. Solomon, your son, shall be the king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, and sheep, and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and he confirms everything. All right. Yeah. She's bowing down. Prostrating means she's bowing down before the king. Yeah, that's, that's uh, bowing. Yeah, that's a fancy word for that. Yeah. Uh, so we, we don't have a record of this promise that David made to Bathsheba. But we do see that Adonijah did not invite Solomon to the coronation. So we have no reason to believe that this is really a trick, but that this is actually, they are now at risk because Adonijah is claiming the throne in opposition and defiance to the will of his father because his father can't do anything about it. Well, David is going to end up doing something about it. And you, you think, has David forgotten what he did? Has David forgotten the darkest part of his life? Is, is it very possible that David, because he was repentant, and true repentance does mean we're going to do something to change, right? It's not just a feeling, it's an action as well. And so we can believe that David's repentance also involved doing what he could at that point to set up Bathsheba and Solomon, right? Because he knows he has done what was wrong, and he's accepted the punishment. And, and you don't get called, I hope, a man after God's own heart by being that stubborn. Well, we're going to see what happens after this. You know the name Solomon, right? Do you know the name Adonijah? Okay, yeah, so we're going to know. We know he's going to be on the throne in a second. And that's what's going to happen. And so Nathan confirms it. And so the end of this is in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 28. King David said, call him Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. 
The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. In 2 Samuel 11, Bathsheba didn't have many options, did she? Not really any options. In 1 Kings 1, she did. Did she take advantage of it? Absolutely. Did she do what she needed to do in the situation? Yes. And she secures her lives and Solomon's throne. And, and that's, that's a good thing in this story and the way it's going to be talked about. Now, we're going to jump real quick through this last bit because this is the last time we hear from Bathsheba until Matthew chapter 1. And Adonijah asks Bathsheba in chapter 2 of 1 Kings if he can have David's last concubine, Abishag, as his wife. What did his older brother Absalom do in plain daylight to say that he was king? Well, he slept with all of his father's concubines. What is Adonijah doing over here? He has one more card he's trying to play. That's what it looks like. So she does tell Solomon, and Solomon sees it for what it is, and he puts his brother to death for trying to usurp the throne. Again, as we've talked about already, you feel real encouraged and uplifted by these set of stories. We feel in real, like everything's got a nice bow tied on it. No. And that's life too, isn't it? That's a lot of life. And that doesn't mean we want to do exactly what these characters are doing. But what can we still draw out of this? And why is Matthew interested in reminding us of these women in the first place? Because Ruth was a good story for Mother's Day, right? That was a, a feel-good ending story. These other stories, they got some stuff that we don't really like, don't really like dealing with. But there it is. It's part of the Bible. Now, yeah. 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 So. Right. Right. For those who couldn't hear, for those online, uh, Walt was saying that that a lot of maybe what we read in the Psalms is David's uh, repentance showing through from this. And I mean, we have Psalm 51 that's directly related to this. Uh, and we sing a song, create me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. That's David reckoning with this. And then we see a lot of these Psalms, God, you know, my enemies are chasing me. All these things are going on. All these things have happened that are not good. Show up, God. And he's, he's crying out. And, and, and a lot of that, yeah, I agree, is, is someone who is trying to now give back over to God his life after he's tried to grab the reins in a way that were not good, that were not good. So one last thing. Bathsheba we don't see again after chapter 2, but we start following Solomon's story. And now Solomon's story is not the, the happiest ending. He drops the ball 
in a gigantic way. But his first few years ruling, he builds the temple, and he, he, before that, he sacrifices all these things to God, and God comes in a vision and says, I'll give you whatever you want. What would you like? And he asks for wisdom, the wisdom to rule God's people with justice and righteousness. And God says, man, that's the answer. You are getting it. You got it. And so he gives it to him, and he gives him all these other things, wealth and, and long life and, and peace from his enemies and all these other things in addition because he made the right request. How do you become someone who makes the right request? Because we look at the rest of these sons of David, and they're making bad choices. Do you think David was the father who was always there teaching his children? No, he's out there. He's a king ruling. Who taught Solomon the values? Who taught him how beautiful wisdom is? Tradition says that Proverbs 31, the wife of godly character, is something Solomon wrote about his mother. Bathsheba. And we don't know if that's true or not. It's just tradition. But can you, can you hear it a little bit in this? Where, where, how do you get there? How did you get to that point? It was mom, right? It's his mom. It had to be part of it. That had to be part of it. Because even with the hand she was dealt, she does what she can. So Bathsheba displays resilience. Do you think she was happy to see David's face every day? We've heard a lot of stories recently about women being abused by men in power. This is one of those stories. And yet, in that situation, she did what she had to do. And in fact, did the best she could do. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't, there's a lot we still had to imagine between the lines. That's right. And then as she taught her son, wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom is something that flows all throughout the Proverbs. Through Ecclesiastes, it's also attributed to Solomon. Wisdom, in a lot of ways, is also reflected in Song of Songs. Where did he learn about wisdom? Where did he learn to ask for wisdom? Must have had a wise mother. That's my guess. Seems, seems appropriate, right? Because you hear the wisdom through the things she did. It's not much to go on. But it is something we see in Jesus too, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, just like we've said the other weeks, God, Jesus wants you to be part of his family story. How do you become part of the family of Jesus? Doing the will of the Father. That's what he says. My brother, my sister, my mothers are those who do the will of my Father. I think we see that in Bathsheba's story. Her story leads to Jesus eventually, right? That's part of the reason we're talking about these women, because they're in Jesus' genealogy. And just like we said when we talked about Ruth and Naomi, 
God can transform tragedy into new opportunity. Let me read you from Matthew again. So this is our genealogy. Salmon, who's the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. We talked about her. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And I got to switch translations because this was the New Living Translation, and it actually gives Bathsheba her name. But that's not what's in the text. In the actual text, it says, And Jesse, the father of David the king, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. I don't even say Bathsheba's name there in Matthew. Why do you think that is? What's Matthew reminding us? He, he reminds us even in that dark, terrible, sin-filled situation. God's still working. God's still working. If that's your life or your story, if you have been abused in that way, God can still work through that. Things are different now, and there are ways that we can get out of some of those situations. If you need to talk to someone, if you need something more serious, counselor therapy, that is good. Go do that. Because this is rough, rough stuff that can hurt and destroy us. And yet, and yet, in the midst of that, God still works. God is still transforming. There is no darkness that the light of Christ cannot shine through. And that is so important in these stories. That it does not matter. That doesn't mean that we don't want to cry with you over the darkness. It doesn't mean it's not something you, you should have scars from. We're not saying be happy and clappy even if it was bad. What I'm saying is that God still loves you and he still wants you and he still wants to work through you. And he's going to do it. You just got to let him. You just got to let him. May God transform us. So what's our challenge this week? Who can you be Solomon to? Who can you be like Bathsheba was to her son and pour in the life and story and values of Jesus? Who might have a better chance later because of you? Who might come to Christ because of you? God's going to do the transforming. That's not your job. But can we follow the Spirit's lead and show up and love and pray and talk and care? We can. We can. Let's do that. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the way you work, even in the darkness. God, give us the strength to carry on. Give us the strength to love. Give us eyes to see what Jesus is doing in our lives. Give us eyes that keep focused on the cross. God, you are so good, and we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.